Welcome to Extended Clip, episode 46. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And today, our double feature is uh, The Third Generation by Rainer Werner Fassbender from 1979. And On Deadly Ground, the 1994 film directed, co-produced, and starring Steven Seagal. Now, Malcolm, uh, you programmed this double feature... And I got to hand it to you. This is some of the best programming work that uh, we've seen on the podcast in its entire history. Wow, thank you. That's a, that's a huge compliment. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm accepting like an award right now. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I originally chose these two, you know, because of the Bill Gates scandal. You know, he's up to no good. Just Google that. But, um, you know. Google Bill Gates. Google Bill Gates. Google Microsoft. Um, but... <laughs> Um, I, I chose these two movies because from the the angle of bad CEOs, and there are some bad CEOs in both of these movies, but I think the more stronger thread is leftist terrorism. And uh, in these trying times, right, you know, things are a little uncertain. So maybe maybe these movies could push you in the right direction of you know if you're feeling you know disenfranchised, feeling of no place to go. Maybe you could. <laughs> Uh, you know, pick up a certain book that has certain ingredients to, you know, make <laughs> real changes. <laughs> so that's why I chose it. <laughs> yeah, this one's for uh, all of you out here who, uh, after Bernie Sanders uh, suspended his campaign, posted uh, something along the lines of, uh, I hate electoral politics. I'm a, my best friend is revolution and terrorism now uh this is for you folks to uh put your put your money where your mouth is or rather uh put your eyeballs where your mouth is i don't really know how to phrase that yeah uh, but you should watch these films yeah or at least start watching steven seagal movies if you're a real leftist yeah <laughs> so the third generation this is a a comedy in six parts as the opening titles describe it uh, it says something that it's like a fairy tale. Frankly, uh, there are quite a few big blocks of text on screen here that move by at such a fast rate. Uh, I could only write down the first couple lines of them, <laughs> including all of the, the chapter titles for each of these six parts, which are all phenomenal kind of dirty phrases taken from bathroom walls in Berlin. <laughs> That's great. I did. They, they didn't. My subtitles didn't translate the chapter cards, so I, I kind of missed out on that. Oh damn! Yeah. That sucks. Crazy shit, dude. Big dick up for anything. <laughs> <laughs> damn. I'm gonna have to do my research after the episode. Um. So this film opens though while these opening credits are going over a beautiful uh shot of west berlin and like you get the uh the fog and all the uh the the buildings and then you pull back realize you're in an apartment looking out the window and then you pull back further you see a tiny little television a little uh 13 inch tv hooked up to a old very primal video cassette player uh playing robert brisson's the devil probably which is you know probably the best film we've ever talked about on this podcast so right away we know we're in for something serious yeah, I mean, that's partially why I chose this movie, because I knew it opened like that, and I, I feel like it would fire the boys up. I feel like it would get you guys hyped and get you guys into the movie. Oh, yeah. I was, like, <laughs> I was shaking my screen, stomping on the ground. Like, I was I was hyped. I mean, if, if this movie was made a little bit later, honestly, like, after 1994, I would be like, oh, man, is that The Devil, probably, or On Deadly Ground? There, There's so much overlap <laughs> in those films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what it's showing in the devil probably is uh the end of the film the the suicide from that film and uh something that on deadly ground shows toward the end is some some documentary footage of uh animals uh getting the the short end of the stick if you will <laughs> of uh the environmental damage done by oil companies uh very reminiscent to the uh seal clubbing depicted in uh, the devil probably but back to this film it's a very vague film as it's unfolding itself you know you're meeting all these different people you see the ceo guy uh you see all these you know uh young not young like in their 30s uh leftist 
terrorists in the cell and you don't really draw all the connections until maybe an hour in that you really understand uh even like the outline of like the overall plot of this movie yeah and i feel like the vagueness is like kind of speaking to kind of like the confusion within the organization because it's it almost seems like they're not exactly sure what they're doing and i feel like a lot of this movie is like a lot of self-critique of like leftist organizations yeah i mean just like twitter it's like a lot of bourgeois leftist infighting impotently without really accomplishing anything for most of the movie but on the other side of that there's also the uh horrid uh, not just like sexism but like sexual assault and misconduct that is written off at, like as uh, a petty bourgeois complaint you know uh so i think yeah this film is definitely a uh attack of basically not an attack but uh a self critique of kind of all aspects of uh the the left the modern left at that point it's it's critiquing the modern left but it's like it's such a bleak movie that it seems just down on everything there's really no hope in this movie exactly because it's like it's not giving you an alternate it's like oh real this is all we really have to look to is like these kind of fucking people because the rest of the world has bought into you know the lie of capitalism <laughs> like uh if this is all we have then we're fucked and it is kind of a fatalist movie in that regard but you know at that point in time and even more so now i buy into fatalism to be honest <laughs> yeah i mean one one quote from the movie that stands out is early on uh, where there's a son and father exchange, and the, they're talking philosophy, and the father's like, you know, Nietzsche seems positive now compared to all these philosophers, you know, nowadays. <laughs> yeah. It's like they, we need a war for all the young people to go to. <laughs> well, yeah, the the quote that sparks that is uh, wh- what is it? The world as will and idea, uh, and that is like a phrase that is said back and forth. Uh, a few times throughout the film kind of as like a code and a spark of discussion uh this film has a lot of kind of uh intertextual uh discussions in the dialogue whether it's philosophy texts or other films such as solaris and by the way i agree with the guy who didn't like solaris uh, <laughs> uh i like i like this a lot better <laughs> oh so i guess we should get into the actual premise of the movie uh yeah, this CEO of a uh, a computer company or a, te- a tech company and computers are what they're like trying to do now, I guess. Uh, he is like finding out that people don't want to invest in computers and he needs to like hatch some sort of scheme to like hire some uh, terrorists to do some direct action so that people will be scared into buying computers, I guess. Is that is that where he's coming from? Yeah, he was looking for some technique to make computers viable. But, I mean, I I honestly had a hard time following exactly how he was doing that. I mean, this this movie has, like, a lot of things going on, you know, I think purposely to kind of, like, confuse you. I mean, there's constant, like, speaking of theory, there's, there's constant theory going on in the background or just speeches and stuff like that as, you know, characters live in, like, this cell house or whatever. And uh, it's even yeah. commented on by Franz. He's like, why is the shit always playing? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like they're all, yeah. Uh, they end up all these young, not young. I say young compared to Eddie Constantine, who plays the CEO. You might know him from Alphaville uh, and the better sequel to Alphaville, uh, Germany, year 9090. Uh, he kind of sets them up in this <laughs> sick loft in Berlin. And uh, they all just like chill together, just like, plotting and scheming and listening to uh like these philosophical uh texts on tape and playing monopoly and being problematic uh until they're finally ready to go uh and you know do uh their like split action of blowing up a building and robbing a bank yeah and i think it's also notable within like the group of like leftist organizers so many of their relations like go back uh to uh like corporate ties or just sort of like very bourgeois which is why i feel like 
a lot of, or I mean, some of the funniest sections there were where it's just them like fucking around in their apartments, like sort of infighting and arguing, just bring out, I don't know, just how uh, significant that critique is of their inability to act. Yeah, and I think the the biggest tragedy of like the critique of the left in this is, of course, the treatment of Franz, the one black character in the entire movie. Uh, who arrives later, you know, uh, you get two guys come uh, from, you know, uh, they were in the military before they showed up there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh, did they desert? I don't know. Was or were there, was their service over? I don't know, but no, I think he was training. uh, He was training because, Oh, okay. gets really sad in a later scene when he goes to a government office and they're not giving him any jobs. And he, you know, he cries because he's trained three years for this. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, you know, the, the deserter plot I had in my head from watching Drillbit Taylor last <laughs> night, which I'll talk about <laughs> later on in the podcast. Obviously Franz is dealt like the worst hand of all of the leftists in this, uh, as he, you know, he's reunited with his old friend, else, uh, Ilse, who is, uh, deathly addicted to heroin and he tries to get her to stop. And those are definitely the most. Uh, the scenes in the film that are filled with the most compassion and like really like rather than detached critique, uh, you feel Fassbender feeling for these characters out of most likely having experienced these kind of situations before. Uh, so her eventual death is really sad for him. And then, of course, obviously, uh, at the very end of this film, he's set up by other members of the cell to be arrested when visiting her grave. And then instead of being arrested, he gets shot. So even worse. Yeah, the way the police act in this film, they act without impunity. You know, they act as they know, you know, they know there's going to be no consequences. Each character who gets killed by the cops, it's like instantly. And it's like five cops just firing at him in like the most brutal firing squad fashion way. So basically, uh, what this CEO, uh, the Eddie Constantine character, uh, doesn't realize is how many kind of uh, double crossings and betrayals there's been. (laughs) Uh, So when he's eventually kidnapped, he thinks that they're on the same wavelength, but in reality, he's actually being kidnapped. So at the very end of the movie, he's recording a, a hostage note of sort, a hostage note on video. And uh, he's saying I'm being held. He's essentially saying that he's being held prisoner by the people and for the good of the people as well. Uh, Thinking that that is like what's going to end up, you know, boosting computer sales or whatever. When in reality, he's just a rich guy that has been captured by like three or four leftist organizers who have either killed or gotten killed their uh, other members of their cell in the last, you know, hour of this Mm-hmm. And the way it ends with him kind of smirking into camera is, you know, he has this rich guy comfortability where he thinks everything is going to be okay. But in a way, since we don't really see any consequences happen to him, it, it still feels like there's a possibility that he could get out of it, even though he probably couldn't. But it's just, you know, he's just so up. He's so high up there. He's so connected that he, he has that that swagger. You know, he's going out with a smile. And I I love the end of this film, too, because that last scene has such a detached feeling after the very intense, uh, like, cross-cut climax, where then you just have them, like, fidgeting with the equipment because they can't get everything in frame and they can't get what they're writing on the wall in the background of the hostage video, uh, the right size to be in the frame, and or it's illegible, or the audio's bad, or there's someone in the frame that shouldn't be, and it's like a four-minute thing of just, like, you cooling down and reckoning with everything that you just saw and catching yourself up to, like, where the narrative is at at this point as there is a deconstruction of filmmaking going on to end this film. And uh, yeah, it's like a kind of like I've only seen, I think this is my fifth uh, Fassbender film that I've seen. And yeah, it's like a very fitting end for him, I guess Uh, that clash of like heavy drama, heavy melodrama and kind of detachment and critique uh, hits really hard there at the end. No, yeah, you know, around this kind of era, you have Fassbender kind of making some of his m- most bitter films, and uh, this, you know, this is just 
filled with errant strands of bitterness, just like random details, kind of like how one of the women within the leftist organization just cheats mm-hmm. on his her husband with a cop or whatever, just kind of randomly. It's just, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, there's plenty of detachment. And it's a beautiful film too. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's shot in Academy ratio and the, the glow of like the neon at night coming in through the windows of every room that they're in is beautiful. There's a sex scene early on that is, I don't think it's actually, well, I guess it's a uh, technique. It's incestual in law, I believe. <laughs> uh, and there's like the glow of a red neon sign. Uh, not unlike that of the Kenny Rogers chicken in that episode of Seinfeld <laughs> lighting up the room. And it's just fucking gorgeous. And like the shot that sparks the Solaris discussion is just this beautiful high angle shot looking down at a, uh, looking down at berlin at night and all the neon and the cars driving and it's yeah it's beautiful yeah and that shot's great too because you see the shot and then a character comments is like this looks like a shot from solaris you know it's very you know deconstructionist (laughs) in everything it's even telling you maybe where it's got some of it uh, it's visual inspiration well i mean to touch on what you were saying like earlier about the bitterness I feel like it's surprising that he can strike a tone that seems so like, I mean, it's very harsh in its critique, but there is like a a great element of levity with that. It's like bitter without being too self-serious, like especially Mm -hmm. the end, how like everyone is sort of going full bozo. Like, (laughs) I I mean, they have, uh, it's the businessman is, is, uh, Eddie count. Eddie Constantine is Lurs, right? Is that his name? Mm-hmm. PJ Lurs? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like in him not knowing how much more fucked he probably is, it's like absurd and ridiculous and is a stooge. But then the leftist just being incapable of like figuring out, like r- doing many retakes of like his hostage video. It doesn't seem like he's in like, I don't know, two capable hands. And then like if they were to kill him, <laughs> I feel like it would most likely be an accident or a fuck up. Yeah, you know, this This is must would have looked like the early ISIS videos when they were figuring stuff out. It must have looked like that, you know? You, you know, getting the training wheels off, get you know, get the ball rolling. There's going to be some kinks in the road when you first start. <laughs> but the opposite of that, of course, is Fassbender's form in this. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, the way he just assumes these spaces and knows exactly where and how to move the camera around, like when these characters are moving from room to room in that loft in Berlin, uh, the, the mise-en-scene is just like, it's so low key. And yet if you try to deconstruct any kind of movement of character or actor, you realize how like absolutely perfect it is and how much is going into the staging of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, he's, he's just a master of the form of filmmaking. It's, it's, a it's a really beautiful film that also matches the bitterness that it's trying to present. And it's so dense and like so many threads to pull out that obviously we can't like get too deep into this film. Cause we, we don't do that long of a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we'll, we might as well just like wrap it up, but it's a, it's a really great film. It's not like my favorite, favorite fastbender I've seen, but it's up there and I'll say uh, four bullets for this one. Yeah, you know, I'm getting my gun and I'm loading four bullets in it with, you know, as well. Uh, yeah, I think what you're saying about, you know, the visual, uh, the visual comp- competency of Fassbender is like he'll he'll always know exactly what to do. I feel, you know, there's a, a lot of variation where it's like there's some of these stage shots where everything everyone's really staged and it's kind of a, a staunch looking shot, and then sometimes his camera will be a little bit more inquisitive and just kind of float around the room. And, uh, I mean, that's amongst other things, too. And so, yeah, I've, I've seen a good amount of his films, and this is definitely up there uh, towards my, one of my favorites. Uh, what about you, JT? Um, yeah, I have, I have a secret to reveal. Uh, what? You popped my cherry with Fassbender. This is my first oh. one. He was a big blind spot for me. Um, and so I'm glad to have finally undertaken a film of his, one that I really dug a lot. I mean, to talk about the relevance that it has, I feel like, to modern politics is, like, especially stunning. And I'm surprised that, like, 
the strains of leftist infighting and just general incompetence continue to exist today. Like one scene that we didn't mention is when uh, they're like – it's when they're trying to f- get stuff for their new identities and the one guy like pisses his pants because he's afraid <laughs> of the police. It's like the classic sort of like I don't know take on you see some like – I don't know. Not to say that there aren't some obviously gun competent leftists but you see some <laughs> people post like that and you're like motherfucker you have no idea what to do with that in a like any <laughs> sort of combat situation. Yeah, hit the gym, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, this is four bullets for me. Nice. We'll be right back on Extended Clip to talk about On Deadly Ground. Welcome back to Extended Clip. Uh, Before we get Seagal pilled and Seagal pill you the audience um you see anything else that you wanted to talk about this week Malcolm yeah yeah I watched um just go with it uh, a Dugan Sandler collaboration and uh you know honestly wasn't too hot on this one kind of has some some weird vibes you know um you know the plot is Sandler is a, a guy who pretends to be married so he could uh you know fuck beautiful woman and um he 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 finds he finds the one and he wants to drop it but she finds his wedding ring and he has to create this whole plot where he's fake married and but he's getting divorced and they're all going on vacation it really doesn't make sense to be honest like it's it's like if you think about it for like uh just a minute it's just like that's kind of stupid but you know it's i think it's trying to go for (laughs) some like you know you know a generous reading right be like oh this is screwball right but it's like the play like this is a, a movie where Nick Swartzen got called up to the big leagues. He's like Sandler's number two. Not great. Not 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 a great number two, honestly, for Sandler. And uh, this this movie's not great, but it has some weird moments. I mean, one I want to highlight is the coupling of Nicole Kidman and Dave Matthews, who's in this movie. <laughs> um, and this movie has one great scene, I will say, where Aniston and Kidman get into like a, a hula contest or something like that. And they, they tie because they're both smoking hot. So, um, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, even like Dan Patrick's on stage is like, these are two of some of the hottest women we've ever had compete. Um, but so there's a competition where, uh, the couple, uh, Sandler and Aniston Kidman and, uh, Dave Matthews have to get a coconut up to their mouth, just using their bodies. And, uh, it, uh, honestly, uh, Dave Matthews picking up a coconut with his ass. That's God tier. That's God tier. Um, the rest of the movie, not as great. Also kind of interesting for the Dugan auteurist out there. He's trying a lot more visual techniques here than he does in uh, other movies. Not to great success, but there's like some slanted angles. Like there's a lot of uh, like some steady cam. I feel it's he's kind of going outside the box for his normal style. But um, honestly, not the most top tier Sandler. Damn. Damn. One for the Dugan heads only. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um in terms of things I've watched this week, I uh I, I recently peeped this flick uh called Sick, The Life and Death of Bob Flanagan, Super Masochist. Uh, oh, I've nine- seen this. I, I noticed that you've seen it. I'm curious your thoughts. Um it's by Kirby Dick. Uh, an unfortunately an unfortunately named uh, documentary filmmaker who did uh, this film is not yet rated, which I've seen about the uh, the Motion Picture Association's rating system. That was kind of eh, but um, sick. I really dug. It's like a very naked um, and honest look at performance art- artist Bob Flanagan, who just like tortured his body. Um, constantly throughout his career, which is like very disturbing. I was mostly interested in the picture for that reason, like going in. I mean, like I, cause I had read on his Wikipedia page about him, uh, smashing a nail into his dick while singing Uh if I had a hammer. And then I was like, okay, they're probably (laughs) not going to show anything like that in the film, but it's going to be fucked up and weird. 
Um, but you actually do see a uh, a nail go through uh, his dick at one point in this movie, and I my eyes were closed for the whole thing. <laughs> There's a lot of very gruesome footage of him just being like beaten up by his wife consensually of course he enjoys it um and just like putting it on display i mean it's weird like performance art stuff is always a weird line for me because it's like i i mean i like the very open and naked relationship flanagan has and like him as a personality is very compelling and it leads the entire picture especially because you watch him like die in the movie because it's he's plagued with um, cystic fibrosis throughout his entire life and that's uh, the the masochism that he engages in is sort of an interesting way to combat or like that he is uh, I don't want to say combat but how he's his like con his constant pain has developed into a weird sexual fetish and then art art display it's fascinating to see and just like the level of like honesty uh, that and openness that he gives Kirby is so uh, powerful, especially like spending the very intimate moments, like watching him die. Uh, but what did you think about it, Malcolm? Uh, when when did you peep this flick? Honestly, it's been a while. I I this was I found this I found this movie. How I got into movies in general, I found like hundred most disturbing movies list, and I uh, started <laughs> watching them. And so I don't remember a lot of this movie, except I do remember the nail going through the dick. That's kind of hard to forget. Um, <laughs> but one one uh, excerpt from this movie that's always stuck with me is that he said he got into masochism by, uh, instead of sleeping on a bed, he would sleep on the cold floor every night with his windows open in the winter. And that's how he that's that was his first masochistic act. And I was like, that's kind of, that's kind of disturbing in a way. But hey... He he found a way to make it work for himself. You know he, he's out here making money off this shit, man. I can't I can't hate on a hustle. You know. <laughs> oh, there's also another great detail I want to mention, um, where it's like this. I think 17, and then she turns 18 year old girl who through like the Make a Wish program like meets Flanagan uh, for some <laughs> reason because <laughs> she was familiar with his book and then like gets her like tits pierced uh with him uh, like there and then like afterwards like he and his wife are like are, he's like his wife is like talking about it and she's like oh you're just like you're clearly wanted wanted the fantasy of like to fuck her and just like it's that that was pretty wild uh you're not gonna see many scenes like that any other places but uh yeah check it out if you like <laughs> fucked up shit yeah if you're twisted like us <laughs> 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 I also watched a really twisted movie this week. I watched it last night, in fact. Um, this is a film called Drillbit Taylor. And, uh, you know, Malcolm, you brought a Dennis Dugan joint to the table, so I figured I'd bring one from another uh, another featured player in the Sandler house. Uh, this is a film by Stephen Brill. Uh, you might know Stephen Brill from Little Nicky, Mr. Deeds, uh, Adam Sandler, 100% Fresh. But he also has a strain of work, uh, the Apatow strain. He also directed uh, Heavyweights, and uh, he also directed this Apatow-produced film. Now, Drillbit Taylor is actually the final film work by John Hughes. Uh, it was a John Hughes treatment that Seth Rogen and another screenwriter, whose name I'm forgetting, wrote uh, the script for. And it's Owen Wilson... And he is a uh, he is a homeless uh, U.S. Army deserter, uh, and he is able to get a job from some uh, middle class uh, white kids who will pay him uh, like a hundred bucks a week or so to beat up their bully and like keep them safe. And so it's kind of like a it's kind of like a my bodyguard thing. Uh, if anyone's seen that amazing film, and. It's, you know, it's a little bit of a struggle to get through at first, but it's a very strange film, which keeps it going. Just the the very concept of these, you know, 14-year-old boys hanging out with a homeless man, um, but also, like, 
the the villain the bully in this film is this kid whose parents live in hong kong and he lives by himself in the states and he at one point wears a t-shirt that has a hammer and sickle that's like covered by a sweatshirt (laughs) and it's like a lot of very weird political of the time moments um but yeah you got danny mcbride just like being a goofball for a lot of this and that's awesome on the side and you know a lot of the the regular comedy players of the time contributing um but yeah the film gets stranger as it goes i think any film where like it's if it's like a high school romp where the climax uh features the phrase oh uh they're 18 uh usually you're gonna land yourself in some trouble but uh this one it works out pretty nicely in that regard (laughs) um yeah it's a it's a it's a funny movie and like it's apatow produced but i it feels more like it's made uh by the happy madison crew in terms of like the baseline competence and not uh the the lackadaisical uh and frankly boring approach that usually comes with the Apatow productions. So uh, it was a nice little surprise for me. And it wasn't as like fucking infuriatingly uh, target commercial core as every other John Hughes movie. So it's my favorite Judd Apatow movie and my favorite John Hughes movie. Wow. You, Damn. You know, heavyweight, heavyweights is a good one too. As a, as a young fat kid, very influential growing up. <laughs> Any fat kid should watch that movie. Now I've been asked what we can do. I think we need a responsible body of people that can actually represent us rather than big business. This body of people must not allow the introduction of anything into our environment that is not absolutely biodegradable or able to be chemically neutralized upon production. On Deadly Ground is a film by Steven Seagal. And I think that is important. He is the auteur of this (laughs) film. We've... You know, we haven't talked about many of these kind of films where the action star could be considered the auteur, uh, but this is one where it is quite literal, despite the fact that I, I got to hand it to second unit director Glenn Randall Jr., who I'm sure did a lot of the uh, formal heavy lifting on some mm-hmm. of the more intense sequences. <laughs> because frankly, if you know anything about Steven Seagal or have heard him talk for 30 seconds, you know that he might not have the uh, brain capabilities to put together a movie that's this good. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. well, well, I might, I might protest that because Steven Seagal is a very talented <laughs> guy. He's, he knows Aikido. Um, you know, a martial art form. You gotta have knowledge to do that. He's also a successful recording artist who's delved into a lot of <laughs> genres, you know, dance hall, just general soft rock, blues. He has a great song called uh, Me Want the Punani that I want everyone to go look up. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, probably the second unit director did the heavy lifting, but um, Seagal's influence is definitely felt throughout this film. Well, I mainly say that because of the 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 like landscape shots and stuff like that. Because mm-hmm. when you're really just like getting acquainted with the setting over the opening titles of these beautiful, you know, uh, huge shots of Alaska, uh, it's like, oh, this is like a gorgeous film kind of that is going to have a dumb guy movie on top of it you know Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i feel like this is uh the biggest vanity project we have ever approached (laughs) on the podcast it's like it's so impressive in that regard and just like fucking ballsy like uh, one thing that struck me um like right when we open is that like uh when seagal's character is like walking around after um, we see like the bald eagle and we get a sense of the setting um, when he's like introduced on the scene everyone knows his name and it's just like in scenes where he's at it's like the classic Simpsons joke where it's like when he's not on screen I want them to be asking where he is but it's just like because <laughs> people are like it, on screen like when he's there like oh he's so fucking cool I love him and just like stuff like that it's it's powerful vanity yeah the the poochie approach is very successful that's a through line throughout Seagal's career I mean his movies they're always him. I don't think he's ever played someone who wasn't a lead character. Maybe it's happened once or twice, but Seagal is a perfect man in his movies. I mean, even as far as action stars go, uh, he, he, he goes out of the way to make sure that 
you know that he's moralistic. He has values, even though he's you know you know kills probably like fifty people in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's great. It's uh, I think that the politics of this movie, or the politics of Steven Seagal exclusively through this movie, because I know he's contradicted them quite a few times through his actions. Uh, and his other choices as an auteur, they are that of a very confused, manic, and very popular left Twitter account uh, right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because, yeah, it's like, this is a film that ends uh, after its action climax with a, like, 10-minute, very didactic uh, speech about uh, big business and government destroying the earth and our need to move away i hate to go bernie on him but from the fossil fuel industry and like it's insane that this is like uh just the talking points that he hits during that are so like wonderful and then you think about it for one second and all of the (laughs) all of like the union oil workers who he just like killed because he was (laughs) mad at the ceo (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, they were being racist to that to that Native American guy. That's true. That's true. Because that's I love the fucking uh, the dialectic that is brought up in that first that opening bar fight, which is phenomenal, uh, where a uh, a Native American is getting bullied by this fat white uh, oil worker at the bar, and uh, Seagal, after much hesitation, it's drawn out like once upon a time in the West. It's like seven minutes of waiting for Seagal <laughs> to beat his ass. It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but after he kicks all their asses, he breaks it down to. Well, let's see, that's uh, Natives 8 and uh, Oil Workers 0. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Um, there's a great. The way that scene ends, too, I mean. It delves into a bar fight where he beats up like twenty people, which is amazing. And no one—he never gets hit in this movie. Um, but it ends not with like us, like a what's that called? Like slap? Not a slap fight, but slap touch game with the the main. Yeah. Oh, it's phenomenal. And um, it's the yeah. Go ahead. No, and you know, Seagal keeps beating him, keeps you know clocking him, you know, splitting his wig, so to speak. And then uh, it ends with a, a great scene of benevolence as uh, Seagal is like, uh, what does he say? He's like, what do you say? Like, what does a man need to grow? And the guy's like, time. And then Seagal just puts his hand on his shoulder and leaves with the Native American who is being picked on. So a uh, very Christ-like <laughs> yeah. figure. Come on. He's, uh, oh, oh. I mean, even... I love that. He's like, I'll give you a ride home. And the guy's <laughs> like, you're going on a very spiritual journey right now. <laughs> <laughs> But before that, that fight scene is fucking incredible, dude. I mean, one of the the one-line letterboxed review that really hyped me up for this was from uh, Ethan Vetsby. His review of this film is, you see Seagal grab a a guy's balls in slow motion. And that is one of the greatest moments of this movie where he grabs a guy by the nuts and throws him over his shoulder. The guy just screams, my nuts. (laughs) Oh, my God. He's not... Uh, well, I was just going to say, I feel like he kicks someone in the nuts, too. He's not afraid to go for the nuts. He'll go for the nuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so after this opening, uh, or not even opening, because it opens on the explosion that he puts out, or the fire that he puts out with an explosion, which is just the greatest action movie logic of all time. <laughs> uh, a guy who puts out fires with explosions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> After that, we are properly introduced to Michael Caine's CEO character. Uh, Michael Caine, just phenomenal in this movie. So over the top, uh, just mugging it up as the evil CEO who is made to represent all that is wrong with capitalism. And uh, he is—he uh, needs to get this rig on its line in 13 days or the rights to drill in that area go back to the natives uh as he calls them the eskimos throughout the movie and that's like kind of the setup and then after a while like it's another 15 minutes or so of seagal kind of wrestling with it because in the beginning he considers himself a whore who would do anything for money uh and then he kind of has a a a breaking point and uh very 
quickly after that, he confronts Michael Caine and asks him, you know, how much is enough? Uh, <laughs> and that's like 30 minutes into the movie. That I, I thought that would be his change by the end of the movie. But I like that he's radicalized very early on in this. I'd just like to ask you something. How much is enough? How much money is enough? I've got to get out of these clothes. Yeah, yeah, because he, he's radicalized and then he gets to action. You know what I mean? He uh, He's looking for the files that exposes, you know, the company's faults. And uh, this, you know, yeah. ends up with him and his friend who was the manager at that oil refinery. Um, you know, a, a, an attempt of murder on Seagal, but they, they tortured the poor geezer to death with pipe cutters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the those two action scenes that lead up to uh, like those two kind of set pieces lead up to the second half, which is a giant set piece. Uh, but those two attempted murders, once successful, are great at like getting you on board with uh, these just total over-the-top mugging villains uh the guys that michael kane kind of treats like shit his uh right hand men as they were are all just total bozos the guy with the sunglasses who after an explosive that seagal plants goes off just like starts shooting in the air for no reason <laughs> yeah he's the wild card of the group definitely yeah I, um th- that's john c <laughs> mcginley and there's a there's a great uh line reading where when he's torturing the geezer, trying to, you know, get the information from him, he's like, Have you listened to yourself lately? Have you? Everything with you is I, I, I. There is no I in team. It is T-E-A-M. Team. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, God, I love that. I love that Michael Caine's character, too, like, despite being, like, I mean, he's he's English in the film, but he dresses with that like weird Texas oil man affectation, where it's like the, yeah. the classic bolo ties and the points on his co- collars like a cowboy. Dude, that bolo tie is distracting itself. Like I, that, I, my eyes were following the bolo tie so much when he was on screen. <laughs> Probably the first time he put one of those on, Michael Caine. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, I really want to look up his uh, autobiography and hear him talk about this film because the autobiography that he does the audiobook for, uh, fans of The Best Show with Tom Sharpling have heard many clips of that of him talking about him suffering with irritable bowel syndrome on set uh, and rapping with iced tea and saying things like, thank God for dark brown trousers. Uh, so I really want to hear his experience working on this film because it seems like it was a nightmare of a set, you know? Oh, so after they try to kill Seagal unsuccessfully, he is flung from the explosion (laughs) and, uh, lands in a, uh, a village of natives or not really a village, kind of like a couple uh, or like a big family kind of, uh, and they help him out. And he goes on a spiritual journey while he's there. It's one of the more insane sequences of the movie, I would say. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Especially when, uh, I mean, two, two things come to mind. When uh, Seagal's resting in bed and is having dialogue with the, the father of these, this Native American family. And the, the Native American patriarch says, you know, I think he might be a bear. And then Seagal replies, it's like, no, I'm a, I'm a mouse hiding from the hawks. <laughs> And um, yeah, then he says, "That's what a bear would say." <laughs> <laughs> he knows he, he he could speak the language of mysticism, and then his yeah. spi- his spiritual dream sequence too is you know is some of the best Seagal I've ever seen. I mean, because thinking about like what Seagal would consider to be both spiritual and like psychedelic, kind of, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, just like a tough guy like him, what he envisions as this like. Uh, interconnectivity between human life and the earth and the animals and like uh, the cuts that are in the sequence between him and a bear and an eagle are phenomenal. And like the, uh, the like crudely animated bear that you see in the reflection of like a pool of water is one of my favorite images in this film for sure. Yeah. (laughs) 
he gets a snowmobile, right? <laughs> or is that after they kill the chief that he gets the snowmobile? After yeah, they kill I think the chief. After. Yeah, oh yeah. So the Michael Caine figures already that he's not dead and to keep, you know, you got to keep looking for him. So they kill the chief and uh how did Seagal stay hidden during where was he? He was just out cruising, I think. I think he was just like I think he was just riding around. Oh yeah, he was cruising with the dogs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he took the dogs on a cruise yeah a very once upon a time in hollywood moment you know just yeah exactly yeah <laughs> so after the cops uh leave and seagal comes back and the sh- the chief is dead they bust out the snowmobile and he takes the chief's daughter uh to go with him to avenge uh her father's life and uh what follows is simply one of the most ownage filled 45 minutes or so of cinema i've ever seen to be honest (laughs) (laughs) of course um the final sequence at the oil refinery is you know very masterful and you know maybe uh one of my favorite seagal sequences but just uh i think we mentioned it before but like when uh just seagal like placing bombs all over the place and uh you know all the booby traps that he sets home alone (laughs) style to fuck with the the goons is uh you know quite pleasurable yeah like on top of being like a tough guy he's a clever little scamp as well (laughs) (laughs) they're so like elaborate and cartoonish but for such gruesome deaths like when that guy falls into like the pit of sticks that he's wedged (laughs) up against Oh my god! And there, there's that one kill where he puts the knife through the guy's face, and he cuts it pretty quickly, so you barely see it. But it's pretty fucking gnarly. Yeah. So first they go to Hugh's house, the old geezer that Michael Caine killed before they went for Seagal, and uh, he finds the the floppy disk that has uh, Hugh's whole computer on it or whatever. The term, the tech terminology is very strange in this. I'm not sure. Maybe it's outdated. Maybe it's just totally fake. Uh, I'm going to guess the latter, but who cares? Cause the action is amazing. Uh, so yeah, there's an amazing shootout in this. And, uh, then Michael Caine hires some, uh, private contractors to fly to Alaska in about 30 minutes, I guess. and uh hunt down uh steven seagal and it's amazing i like the stipulation michael kane has at first about hiring mercenaries or whatever he's like mercenaries isn't that what people in third world countries do and it kind of shows like the separation he has because he's already sending people to kill people already he's basically already has mercenaries but he doesn't want to be hit with that that despot terminology because he's you know he's a civilized british texan uh, oil men. <laughs> and of course, when he says that, the woman who works with him says, oh, but Alaska already is a third world country. We just own it. And uh, she's insane. Earlier in the film, she like uh, was praised by Michael Caine for cutting the benefits of the, the widows of the workers who died in oil <laughs> accidents. Uh, so the mercenaries then start chasing them, and uh, it's the, the combined... Uh, knowledge of the lay of the land between the daughter of the chief and steven seagal but it's pretty much just seagal she's just kind of with him the whole time (laughs) one scene that sticks out you know in seagal and white savior mode is when uh after the geezer they're at the geezer's house you know and he basically says like fuck spiritualism we got to take action (laughs) it's just like yeah like i love the spiritualism in your culture but it doesn't apply here See, I love the spirit world and I loved your father, but it doesn't matter right now. What really matters is the cold, hard reality of this world, and that's what we got to deal with. I didn't want to resort to violence. I don't have a choice, and I'm not taking any chances this time, because I can't. So then they go to the oil refinery, and they basically just like not even they he one by one takes out like every single person that's at the refinery from the contract killers to the workers that are just there to the fbi anti-terrorism unit who is now on the scene uh also trying to take down seagal and there's plenty of uh plenty of fun to be had here because seagal you know does his punishing in a lot of different ways i mean i like when he makes a silencer out of a two liter that he just had an empty two liter bottle. And there's even some yeah. classic pole fighting in here for a, a brief moment where, so gets handy with the poles. 
I was shocked by that and I was so happy to see it. I, I clapped, I, I <laughs> clapped. And then the pen that I was taking notes with flew across the room. Cause I forgot that I was holding it. That is how into the climax of this film. I was. <laughs> it's almost embarrassing because I have to be able to admit that this is a very stupid movie, but it's really hard for me to, because I thoroughly loved this movie, like very unironically, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, I, I read a lot of so bad. It's good about this when I, logged on to letterboxd and this is a really well-made action movie this is like a really fucking like it hits all the beats of just like a dumb guy classic uh that you want it to so well and like there's a kill at the refinery uh when he goes over to the helicopter and fucking puts the guy's head into the spinning blade. Uh, and then the woman that works for Michael Caine sees this while she's getting into a car and just screams and hits the pedal and crashes into something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she just has oil spilling all over. Her. <laughs> yeah. I think that's Seagal. He didn't, I think Seagal did not want to hurt a woman on camera. So she just ends up, you know, doing the deed herself and everything wraps up nicely he's he's not a woman hitter so as we said after this action climax which of course uh resolves with the biggest explosion you could ask for uh michael kane falls into a vat of oil uh a bunch of uh workers who i guess were all racist all die (laughs) and uh (laughs) then steven seagal is speaking to a bunch of people and he talks about how we need a government that works for the people and not for big business and, you know, to vote for Bernie Sanders 2020. <laughs> and, uh, and then, yeah, that's, that's it. But it's very long and like very, th- that final scene that is, is very long with a lot of, uh, re- documentary footage, uh, of animals, you know, affected by oil spills and stuff like that. And it- Big business is primarily responsible for destroying the water we drink, the air we breathe, and the food we eat. It's weirdly sincere, but of all of the political ways that a totally crazy action movie could go, like, you can't really ask for more than this, right? No, no, definitely not. And I feel like people give Seagal the so bad it's good treatment just because, like, he, ha- he definitely has an ego and it shows in his films. His films are definitely self-stroking, but honestly, I mean, I feel like that's kind of what I like about him is kind of like the attitude he carries in these, especially these early films. And uh, it's nice to see that, you know, it backed up with a a streak of, you know, legitimate, passionate environmentalism. I mean, it's, it's, it's 100% there. It's, uh, Seagal's an activist. Yeah. And it's like beyond just environmentalism of like also it being, the complete fault of big business and CEOs, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, the Michael Caine character is like a caricature. You know, he's, he's always yelling. He yells at everyone. It just, the, the message this movie wants to get across is that CEOs are monsters. All right. So JT, any, any final thoughts on this one before we shoot it down? Um, yeah, I guess this was like my first exploration into young Seagal. I've only seen some of the later efforts, which I was like, those I knew would like solely be like Seagal produced vanity projects, like a good man and uh, the perfect weapon, uh, which I think were like talked like they, they might mentioned those on like Chapo or something a while ago. And I was like, OK, that's the absurd, like extremely caricature Seagal. But I didn't know that it would the man's essence would go back this far and be so strong. I like, I don't know. It's something that's very clearly embracing, uh, dumb guy vibes, whether intentional or not, but like the, I I don't know, the clear missteps of Seagal being a white savior are like very much so undercut by the sincerity and earnestness to which he like wants to try to do good with this. Now I have a question. Mm -hmm. Is he a white savior? Or is his character native? <laughs> well, I, you know that's 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 a great thing about Seagal is that he has a lot of cultural interest, right? Like he he used to live in Japan, right? He was historically famous to be the first a white martial arts instructor in Japan. He makes dance hall music. He uh, spends a lot of time mm-hmm. in Russia. This man is very 
culturally well spent and you know he's very he's an he's a citizen of the world he's very open-minded and so yeah. i do i do think he's white but you know he's invited to the native american barbecue so to speak to pick out. <laughs> he seagal transcends race <laughs> yeah yeah and also he also does like uh he speaks kind of like in an offensive black voice in uh some of his late 90s films i've heard so yeah, yeah he's, he's he's a he's a lot of variety to him I think I'm going to go three and a half bullets. All right. What about you, Malcolm? I'm going to go four bullets. Um, Seagal is a hero. Uh, this is kind of like, if anyone saw Dark Waters, this is what Mark Ruffalo should have done. He should have just got to fucking action instead of fucking flipping <laughs> through his papers like a dork. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, Ar- Arlie Ermey is someone we didn't mention here. He has a great line where he's talking, he's building up the legend of Seagal to the other mercenaries. He's, you know, he's like, he'll drink gasoline to piss on your campfire. And, uh, you know, delivers those lines greatly. This is just a whole lot of fun. And, you know, it's got a little bit of heart to it as well. You could put that on the DVD cover. You know, lots of fun with the uh, with some real heart. What about you, Eddie? Um, I just want to say that, like, what you said about him hyping up Seagal, giving those crazy anecdotes is one of my favorite parts of this movie just oh, like, yeah because it does feed into the pure vanity and myth making of it you know and it's like uh what does he say he says you could drop this guy off in the arctic circle without a pair of bikini underwear without his toothbrush and tomorrow afternoon he's gonna show up at your do- at your poolside with a million dollar smile and a fistful of pesos <laughs> just total bozo shit like, i don't know between that and like the hand sliding game in the first bar fight i don't know if the listeners played this game growing up but you know where you put your hands uh or i guess if you're playing on uh offense you put your hands below another person's hands or on top of yours and you uh very quickly try to slide them out and slap the top of the other person's hands and uh seagal very good at this game that is an excuse for him to kick the shit out of a guy and like stuff like that you just you can't you can't come up with this stuff, man. <laughs> and it's honestly like I was shocked throughout how kind of gorgeous this film is. Uh, the The cinemascope frame is so beautifully filled at like every point. And uh, in an age of why is this in scope, it's so nice to see a kind of junky movie that still treats the format with the respect it deserves. And I don't know, man, like I, I was thinking three and a half and then I was like, oh, this is actually a great movie. This is like four, you know, but you know what? Fuck it. This is like the most time I was hooting and hollering. This is the most fun I've had with a movie uh, since the other day when I watched Smorgasbord by Jerry Lewis. But <laughs> other than that, in a long time. So I'm going to go four and a half bullets on this one. Wow. Very nice. Dude. Respect. <clears throat> if you disagree with me or if you agree with me. Or if you just have anything to say at all, you can always email us at extendedclippodcast at gmail.com. If you think we're just fucking stupid and need to shut it, why don't you just tell us an email and we'll read it on the show. Yeah, if you disagree with us, like if you hear something we say and you're like, I don't agree with that and don't write us an email, you're a fucking pussy. (laughs) (laughs) So we have an email this week uh, from Valerie F. Uh, The subject is the movie's site. Hey fellas, writing this to get advice on what I should do with the last couple days of Letterboxd Pro uh, that I have probably forever. Ooh, geez, this was about a week ago, five days ago, so hopefully it hasn't already expired. I <laughs> 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 uh, got it last year, changed my username. Okay, um, Letterboxd Pro, I just let mine expire because I realized that I didn't really need it, and the stats are cool, it's like fun, just like take a screenshots of your stats before it expires i guess uh i don't really know what else to do with it clone more lists i don't know what the fuck that does uh change your name again why don't you do that <laughs> get another username in there i've never had letterbox pro but i think one of the features right is you could see like what's on like certain streaming services right oh that is true it. actually as a non-streamer i never had use for that but it seems like something that other people could get a kick out of so if you, I guess if, you know, if you're a streamer, like just take advantage of that and like, you know, log all the movies that are on streaming that are available through the list. I don't really other know 
I don't really know what else you could do with Letterbox Pro. Yeah, I'm also like Malcolm. I I never pay for anything, um, so I've never had Letterbox <laughs> Pro. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know what that what Malcolm said sounds like good advice. So I'll just say I agree with him there. All right. Nice. Um. So uh. Yeah. That's it. Uh. We're at Extended Clip sixty nine on Twitter. I'm at iPod underscore video. I'm at Bitchface Palace. I'm at Tallboy Thin Legs. What we want to leave you with is the idea that, um, you know, if the world's getting you down and you know the cause of it, you know who's perpetrating it, you got to take action. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, get those vests ready. I'm a mouse hiding from the hawks in the house of a raven.